Welcome to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast, hosted by Alison Humphreys. The Recruitment Leadership Podcast is here to help those in the recruitment industry gain awareness and understanding on the hot topics faced by those in the business of hiring people. In each episode, Alison Humphreys is joined by a fellow expert to offer professional knowledge, insight and advice on the biggest subjects affecting recruitment businesses. It's the podcast to listen to for recruitment business frontrunners seeking expert information from industry-leading advisors. Welcome to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. Um, I'm Alison Humphreys. In this season, we are examining the tools, techniques and helps that recruitment business leaders really need to help them get through the time of lockdown and the very different trading conditions that we're in. I'm delighted today to be joined by John Oddy. Uh, John is the owner and managing partner of Ascentis LLP, Chartered Accountants. Uh, Welcome, John. Thank you for joining us. Hi there. Thanks for having me. And unusually for a chartered accountant, John, you've actually had a career owning and acting as FD for a number of small businesses yourself. What kind of industries have you worked in firsthand? Before I went into these different industries, I trained as an accountant and I started my own accountancy firm. And I guess like many people that that reach a a moderate amount of success and they do well in the professions, particularly if you're in an advisory position, you look at other people in business that often think I I could do a a lot better job of it than, than they can. And uh, you have a crack at a few things, and that's exactly what I did. I, I went into a, a number of different businesses, uh, some with some great success, and I've got the scars on my back from some of the failures. In hindsight, it was a great experience, and I learned a lot. It certainly is, is an asset in the advice that I give to clients with real-life experiences. But one of the biggest lessons I learned in that is, is about focus, to be honest with you. I, I was involved in a number of different businesses. I had a, a cleaning business. I had a dental implant business, an LED lighting business, a digital business, and uh, latterly a residential house building business. Not simultaneously, I take it. Actually, some of those were simultaneous. Right, okay. I think it's it's one of these things that quite a lot of people will will relate to. And, you can, and I've, I've actually got clients as well that have, have got a, a business, a profession or a trade, and they're venturing out into doing other things, often against my advice, actually. <laughs> Interestingly, a focus is one of the big messages that's coming through for recruitment business owners at the moment as well. But you've you've had some very interesting jobs before Ascentis. Um, I understand that your first job was as a repairer of grandfather clocks. How on earth did that come about? Yeah, well, I'd never set out to be an accountant. I was uh, born and bred in Whitby and employment opportunities were, were quite limited and uh, a job came up at a local jeweller. So that was my first job, going out to farmers and 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 uh, the big houses in the country and re- repairing all these clocks. It was short-lived, I hasten to add. I, I did it for about uh, six months, and then uh, I was a welder for about a, a year. And then I, the captain of my cricket team had a nice car, and he was an accountant, so I thought I'd have a go at that. Okay, very pragmatic. So, John, I met you as a result of actually a recommendation. So for the, the benefit of our listeners... I engaged with a new client in the last few months and and the very first part of my discussions with most of the recruitment business owners that I non-exec for is, of course, about finance. 
And this, in this particular client's case, he had a really, really strong grasp of the key financial drivers in his business. And that came about because of the service that you'd been giving him. So just to finish off this introduction, when you established Ascentis, your firm, what were you setting out to do differently to other firms of accountants? Well, I certainly had to do something different because there was just me, a mobile phone and a fax machine working from a, a back bedroom. I had to have a real point of difference to be able to track people. The easy thing for me at the time was technology, actually, and that's run all the way through and embracing new technology and change in delivering financial mastery. The advent of the cloud around 2009-10, and IT has disrupted all industries, including ours and the, and the recruitment industry, of course, changed wholesale what accountants could do with the budgets that they were given to them by their clients. In the past, it was quite labor-intensive, lots of scorekeeping, adding up, heavy lifting in terms of just producing a set of accounts that were typically six months old and looking back over the, the prior year. The cloud introduced automation, therefore integration, and it got rid of an awful lot of the processing time and allowed us as accountants to really focus on delivering what we're trained to do in the first place, which is delivering financial mastery to, to uh, companies. And the, the client that you refer to is, is, is one such example of a business that was actually still stuck with a traditional accountant. And the traditional accountant really is just concerned with compliance. So it's all the things that you have to do by law and don't really add any value. I mean, no one has, enjoys their accounts production so much that they ask for it to be done twice in a year. But that is, is, what, is what accountants delivered in the past. And uh, there's been a, an enormous change that now allows us to deli- deliver a much richer experience for business owners in terms of you know, their understanding over the financials within their business. Okay, yep. Now, the other thing that really struck me when I first went on your website was that there's quite a bit of emphasis on there about the importance of aligning personal values with business goals. And you are also use your your own DISC profiles. Most of our leaders and our listeners are familiar with that, that in terms of describing your your various staff and team members. So that's fairly unusual as well, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I, I came across this many years ago, actually, probably about uh, 20 years ago when I first worked with Action Coaching, and I've always been a, a fan of it. I think that after I started really focusing on Ascentis, and this was really around about 2012 when I when I stopped you know, starting other businesses and, and the cloud revolution came around and it really got me passionate about the profession again, about what we could do, what, was, what we were capable of. And that focus really made me think about what, what was the purpose of, of our business. And we worked on our on our long-term purpose, our, the vision for the future. Our vision is, of a future is a, is a world where a business owners, they find a much better way to run the business, a much more enjoyable way, a way, a way where they make more profit, where they have less stress, where they have more time. And within that, that they feel that they fulfill their own personal vision of success. Now, we put into place all the purpose, vision, and values and our own, the partner's own personal vision of success within Ascentis. And when you've got that vision and that that direction, you know what your critical success factors are in achieving that. And one of those is to build a great team. We're told continuously, we tell ourselves that our teams are our greatest asset. I actually disagree with that. I don't think the team is your greatest asset. I think your greatest asset is your ability to attract a great team 
to draw those unrelated people together, inspire them with your own purpose, vision and values. You know, the why do we do this beyond the pay packet? And in building that that team, you've got to get the right people. I, in the past, made the all too common mistake of recruiting people on personality and then firing them on ability and never work out why people that I'd interviewed couldn't do the job as, as, as well as I thought they could based on their CV and what they told me. And yeah, I just remember the lessons of psychometric testing and using DISC and how we were getting the right people in the right places. You know, so if I wanted someone in a sales role, I, I therefore wanted a high I. I cert- I'd certainly didn't want to recruit somebody that was a, a C type, but just actually performed well and was charismatic within the interview. We installed it all first in a, in, in a sentence, as I say. Now, one of the pillars of service that we have at Centis, which which the cloud accounting has enabled us to do, as I say, cloud accounting enables us to change and offer much more proactive services. And one of the pillars of service is next level strategic planning. Next level strategic planning is all about purpose, vision, values, growth, and achieving your personal vision of success. When we assist clients with, with their own strategic planning, part of that is helping them build teams as well. So we were one of the, we actually had the first UK accountancy firm to be Wiley Disc Partners as well. So not, not only is it something that we employ within a sentence itself, but it's actually a distinct part of our service in helping clients achieve their vision of success. So it's a, a really important point that our business owners who listen to our podcast need to get their vision of success. And very often, when someone sets up a recruitment business, they've worked for one employer. And so they have a tendency to replicate what they've known. And sometimes that may be very little in terms of the financial levers that and measures that make a business a success. So when I first meet with a, a new client, whether they're newly established or even relatively large, we always start with what they understand about their business as a business as opposed to as a great recruiter, yeah? Yeah. So the key financial ratios, relative performance, what they measure, those kind of things. What I'm interested in is what your recommendations are, uh, leaving aside, you know, your own business's capability, but generally, what are your recommendations for business owners who are in startup mode to have full control of their finances from the beginning? What, what's some the essentials from your point of view? I think it's it's very typical for people to focus on the sales side of things, the team, the office, the the, the branding, the, the logos and, 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 all, and all the rest of it, and forget about the bedrock of the business, which is which is financial mastery. The first thing to do is is to talk, talk to an accountant before you even start in business. Don't make it an afterthought that you go and you go and see someone six months later and say, you know, our accounts are coming up or we've got We've got our annual return to do or, or, or whatever. Go and see an accountant in the first first place and make sure you choose a good accountant and set your systems up with, a, you go to an accountant that's a digital cloud expert because that's also going to save you a lot of time and, and money with the automation and integration. You need to make yourself a little mini finance director. You, you, you're probably naturally, naturally a sales or, or technical director, but all business owners now, there's no excuse not to have a good understanding of, of, of accounts. And you need to understand how the costs behave, the variable costs and the fixed costs. And therefore, and, and it's beyond this, uh, this podcast now, but if you know how your costs behave, you'll know what your break-even point is. You know what sales you need to bring in on a monthly basis just to pay off the, the, the overheads and survive. You'll then know what the profit element of the business is. 
but also be aware that profit ain't cash. And uh, many people, when they sit down with their accountant, will look at their accounts and you know, it might say we've made £100,000 on the bottom line, but there's no money in the bank. Where is it? So you also need to understand not just profitability, but also the cash flow. A good accountant will explain all of this to you, not only when they explain it all to you, but they should actually place your real-time dynamic financial accounts on a virtual notice board for you and coach you as how to look at that on a day-to-day basis. Absolutely. You need to be aware of the structure of the balance sheet and the importance of those KPIs and ratios that credit agencies and that kind of thing look at and give you a credit rating. You want to attract people to your business. You want people to buy from you. You want people to come and work for you. You want people to lend to you. And there is certain financial criteria that you need to be aware of in the structure of your balance sheet that means that you're a safe bet. In the SME world, if uh, the shares are all owned by the business owner, so the stakeholders don't have any real uplift in the positive side of the business. So if you make £10 million, no one's really going to care. But if you lose £10,000, people are going to get really interested. You need to make sure that you've got the right level of liquidity on the balance sheet, that your gearing isn't too high. These are all techie terms that actually are just common sense ways of looking after the money on, on, on your balance sheet and making you've got enough reserves, making sure that you provide for the taxes and lots of things that you don't think about in the first place. So you're going to have a combination in terms of financial mastery of this rear view mirror that, I, that I've talked about, looking backwards at how the business has performed. But it's also very important that you have, a, you have this view of the future as well. And not only should you be looking backwards, but you should actually be constantly budgeting and setting targets, clues in the word, targets are there to be hit, aren't they? And monitoring those budgets on a daily basis, how your actual performance compares to your predicted performance, and then revisiting and revising those plans. So you must look you must look backwards, yes, and let's see how you've done, but you must have that future focus as well, because what you end up doing then is due diligence on your business, your ideas, and your planning every single day. Right. So there's a load there. Let me just summarize some of the key themes. Number one is because many recruitment business owners are salespeople, there is a tendency to focus on sales revenue, whereas the, what they should be looking for is profitability. Number two, profitability in on paper is not the same as cash in the bank. And number three, Understand in as close as possible to real time what your business is doing so that you are managing in real time and against budgets rather than managing history after those financial issues have actually happened. You mentioned about lenders and invoice financing, for example, that many businesses will want to engage with and sometimes come up against a brick wall because they discover for the first time that they've got some dodgy looking ratios or they've set up the business in a, a wrong way. You know, just the headlines, what are the key ratios and things that um, a lender would look at? Okay, well, through a lender, it's all about risk, okay? Am I going to get my money back? That's all they're really interested in. So my 10 million pound profit and 10,000 pound loss story is, is, is extremely relevant. In terms of a, a few key takeaways for people, they're looking at the balance sheet and they want to make sure that it's safe, okay? So they're looking at two key areas. They'll be looking at, first of all, liquidity and secondly, gearing. Okay, liquidity is very simple to calculate. You take your bank and you take your debtors and any of the assets that you've got and you compare those to your short-term creditors, your trade creditors, the crown agency debts, which is paid you and VAT and that kind of thing. That gives you your net current ratio. And the theory is, is that for every pound of 
things that you own, cash and debtors, you should have no more than a pound of things that you owe, that money that you owe to other people. The benchmark in the recruitment industry, and I know it's going to be varied, is about 2.2. That means that you should have about £2.20 in current assets, debtors and stock, uh, sorry, debtors and, and uh, cash, compared to your current liabilities. So that's the liquidity. If you've got negative liquidity, in other words, your short-term creditors are higher than your short-term assets, you are technically insolvent. The second thing that they, that they look at is what's called gearing. And the gearing is the relationship between the total debt in the business and the total assets. So this includes things like long-term loans, and it'll include things like fixed assets and that kind of thing, which aren't current. They don't change on a day-to-day basis. And the way that I explain gearing to people is if you had a house worth a hundred grand and your mortgage was eighty thousand pounds, you are eighty percent geared. I use that example every time because that's the sweet spot for businesses as well. If your business is geared by more than eighty percent, all of the assets are represented by more than eighty percent of the debt. You've not left any headroom for borrowing, and that presents a risk as well. And any potential investor or, or financier of the business will look at gearing as to how much headroom is available for them. And you know the, the current crisis is a, is, is a great point in, in case, is that it doesn't take much actually for the value of your house or the value of your business to go down by 20% if an economic crisis occurs. So those are the two aspects that we should look at. That's been really highlighted for a number of businesses in the recruitment sector recently. One other issue that I've noticed is, is quite common, particularly in micro businesses in recruitment, is that, look, you know, it's a fairly well rewarded profession. And I've found that a number of business owners go a bit mad with this. They see what looks like profit in the business and they pay themselves very large salaries from the off. And then they struggle to grow because they've got nothing to, you know, bring new people on board with or to invest in marketing, for example. Have you found that too? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Very common, especially to new startups. Many very successful recruitment businesses are actually uh, in the the second time round because the first one went pop. It's basically a lack of understanding as to how your accounts work. Money in the bank is not realized profit. And you need to understand that at the bottom of your profit, you've got two statements in a set of accounts, basically, real, really, but really basic ones. You've got the profit and loss account, the balance sheet. And at the foot of the profit and loss account, the bottom line, there's your money. That's what you think you're allowed to spend. You're not. You spend an awful lot of money on the balance sheet. You buy fixed assets. You pay dividends. You pay last year's corporation tax bill. You pay the VAT. You make loan repayments. So you need to have a really good understanding of not just the profit and loss account, but a separate document called a cash flow. Now, for most small businesses turning over less than 10, 11 million pounds, you don't have to prepare this, this document called a cash flow. And cash flow, people think, oh, it's a projection into the future. No, it's not. From, a, from a, an accounting point of view, it's how does the profit relate to the money in the bank? What's the reconciliation between the two? Unfortunately, the, the company's law says that you don't have to prepare one. You're exempt. It's madness because it's the most useful document, which is why we insist for all of our clients that they all have a cash flow and they understand that the profit at the bottom of the P&L account is not available to spend. What you should do is be, is you should be preparing your budgets with your accountant and knowing what you can take out on a monthly basis and stick to it. Take an amount out that gives you a reward for what you're doing, pays for all of the all of your costs at home. And every three to six months, sit down, have a discussion with your accountant and ask, is it safe to take this bonus out? 
And then, you know, have the peace of mind that you can do that and still maintain the credibility of your balance sheet in terms of gearing, liquidity and cash flow. Mm, Okay. And I'm personally aware of one client who was advised by his accountant to take out X in dividends without making any allowance for what they owed HMRC in terms of PAY and VAT returns. So really nasty surprise that particular client had. In terms of businesses that are a little bit further on in the development curve, and maybe they're starting to think about an event, if not a sale, then maybe an investment round, or maybe even in entering new markets, what kind of advice would you give them in terms of financial reporting? Sure, sure. Okay, so in preparing for a business sale, there's always a regret that a lot of groundwork hadn't been done three or four years beforehand. Business sales always attract higher multiples where the potential purchaser can come in and can see that the vendor of the business had, for many years, had good purpose, vision, value, strategy, and had committed that to text in the form of of projections, and then on a regular basis had monitored the performance against that. You need to be able to demonstrate that you had a destination and you were working towards it adds much more value to the business. It's a much more plausible story because then the, the buyer can believe that the, the continued trajectory of growth is going to be theirs into the future. So for anybody that's thinking about a business sale, even five years out, aside from the fact that you should have all of these elementary aspects within your business anyway, start doing it right now. Commit everything to text as well. You know, one blunt pencil is worth six sharp minds, as they say. Write these things down. Have a written business plan, a written strategy. Communicate it with your team. Get everybody to understand the purpose of the business so that they're also there's there's all sorts of other benefits. There's greater loyalty from your team. There's commitment and passion to the cause beyond the pay packet. If these all these things are recorded and a potential purchaser can come in, it almost looks like, like a turnkey business for them. And that also that that those those values and standards, they're reflected in the team, they're reflected in your customers, they're reflected in your professional team and your associates as well. And that's what they want to buy into. It's not just about buying the turnover. There's the legacy that they're buying as well, not just the future. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And building a business plan is one of the key things that I work with my clients on. Um, because, And I do get some resistance to that because people, you know, understandably, they say, we don't know what's going to happen in the market. What would have been the point of a business plan if nobody knew that, you know, COVID-19 was coming? And one of the things that I often need to reassure them is that the business plan gives the direction, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't actually make the future happen, does it? And you still have to have some capability to respond to changing circumstances. But showing that you've set a budget and you've achieved it, and if you haven't, what changes you've made is actually a really critical part of selling a business in an an attractive way, isn't it? Yeah, and the the process that you go through in planning is hugely rewarding. I think it was Eisenhower said that in preparation for battle, I find that plans are useless, but planning is indispensable. It's it's the process you go through. It's the engagement with the whole team. The plans, once they're done, you know, often go in the draw. That's the wrong thing to do. They should be monitored against us as well. And in doing those plans, you you raise the issue of COVID, uh, the the, the crisis. Well, part of that planning is going to be a a risk analysis. It's going to be contingency planning as well. And, you know, for those businesses that have embraced technology, have 
looked at modern working practices like having their team working from home, set them up with technology at home and that kind of thing, then they were much better placed to deal with the with the crisis than those that had the traditional, you know, everybody in, in, in the office at their desk, that kind of thing. So it's it's amazing how many spin-offs and uh, could come from from good business planning. It you know it opens up that that d- debate and discussion, and it really stretches you as 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 well. You 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 think a lot differently. Otherwise, you tend to repeat things. You know, I meet people that have they tell me they've been in business for five years, but actually, when I look at it, they've been in business for one year and just done it five times five times over because they've had no plan and therefore are not included everybody, no new ideas. So it's really important to have. And I'm repeating myself, but get a strategic plan, know your purpose, vision and values and have that distinctive customer value proposition that people can crowd around and get passionate about. Interestingly, even at a micro level, when that's really kicking in a business, you can tell because the sales staff are actually much keener to engage with clients and talk to them about it because they know they have a direction rather than just reacting to outside forces. Now, John, one of the challenges that a lot of my clients face is is actually making the right choice of accounting partner, engaging that professional help. Because even the people who are in accountancy recruitment, I have to say, experience challenges with that. So what are the factors that should be considered when they're engaging with external firms for, for you know, going outside of, of what's required by law, like getting your accounts audited? What are the key questions they should be asking before they engage with someone? Yeah, great question. Okay, so first of all, I would, it's not something to, econ- to economise on either. It's very tempting to go for, especially when you're started, to go for a low fee. It's amazing how you kind of grasp defeat from the jaws of victory by just shaving, say, a thousand pounds a year off your accountancy fee. You know, a typical fee might be, say, two and a half thousand pounds or something like that per year. For just another thousand pounds, you would get a completely different experience. So you set yourself up to fail in the beginning if you if you go for a budget firm. You don't that doesn't mean to say that you have to go for one of the, the, the top tier firms in the in, in the country. But see, this is an investment outside your family and your health. Your business is one of the most important things. And the most trusted key advisor you're going to have in the business is your accountant. So that's the first thing. Secondly, I'd make sure that if they say that they're going to help you grow your business, I would ask them about their purpose, vision and values and strategy and how they've changed, how they've changed. How did they react to the change in technology in the last 10 years? I'd also ask for some case studies to speak to businesses who had joined them and had been through a a similar change themselves. I'd want to know what financial mastery they were going to give to me and how easy they were going to make my my life so that I could focus on what I do best. I'd want to make sure that my expectations were managed in terms of budget. I'd want a fixed fee. I want to know what the additional charges were before any any work, um, additional work took place. And yeah, as I said, the, the main thing is, is that the biggest mistake I found is when clients come to me and say, I hardly see my accountant, I see him once a year, turns up and does the accounts, arrive three months later, and then we look at what they're paying the accountant and they're paying them, you know, two, two thousand, two and a half grand a year. It's just not enough. You've not given them enough budget to do what you really want them to do. So beauty parade a few, speak to two or three and do not go for the cheapest. Go for someone that's going to deliver the most value for you. Okay, and can you advise, when should a recruiter consider having an internal finance function? 
Yeah, that's a great question. It's a big expensive course, isn't it? Um, and an internal FC, financial controller, is going to cost you something like around about £30,000 if it's a good one, a reasonable one. And uh, a good FD is probably going to cost you somewhere closer to eighty to £100,000. What point do you need that? Well, cloud accounting has changed that an awful lot because a great deal of the work can be automated and The insights, which are the word that we use for the software that does the deep delve down into the data and produces that dynamic, rich information for you on a, on a daily basis on your dashboards, that is shared with your, with your external accountant as well. So what you could do is you could move to a, a virtual FD situation where you perhaps involved your accountant for half a day per, per month. Uh, a, a day per quarter or whatever. The modern technology, especially the type that that, uh, that we've got in place, your accountant will have integrated software and automated certain reports and responses that will come to you anyway. So a great deal of what traditionally a, an internal accountant would have done in the past, your external accountant can do now. Now, the point at which that you would say, okay, well, we're, we're, we're working with the external accounts, we've got all these fine, fantastic insights on, on a daily basis, but we really need someone involved in inside the business that really probably boils down to size you know and uh, the division of duties and when the person that starts the business which is uh, who are, are usually sales sales driven you know they, they reach capacity in what they can do and you know it could be that you're turning over several million pounds you need to share that burden and all of the financial responsibility of the business goes to the fd but they also pick up an awful lot of the administration side of the business as well so they look at the team, the recruitment, the 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 the, the whole lot. So uh, a good FD is not just there to keep score. They they've got multidiscipline that can bring to the bring to the business. There's no fixed point. It's just a case of volume and your own capacity as the managing director and the founder in terms of what you what you can accommodate yourself. Right, and and obviously it may be the case that if you are supplying temporary and contract staff, you've got more complex and more higher numbers of transactions than you might have if you're a purely perm business. Would you agree? So that would bring that that need possibly further ahead in time or not? I think it would. And there's just an awful lot more people management and, and systems and process management and an awful lot more third-party involvement, isn't there? So it's a good mm. point that, you know, if you're doing temp work, then it, the, the model is more complex. And often it, 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 it goes hand in hand with invoice financing as, 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 as well. And that adds, you know, additional complexities. But it really is a volume game as to when you would need to get a full-time FD in place. Okay, thank you. Right, so you've touched on you know, how the major effect that the cloud has had on accounting. And in recruitment too, we're seeing massive shifts in, in how recruitment's done. It's unrecognisable from the last century in terms of the use of automation, video platforms are now very widespread, of course. And we're almost certainly going to see a more jobs-driven market now than we have for some time, including a bit more science around the selection of candidates and uh, and in some cases, more emphasis on diversity. Yeah. Any other points, John, on how things are changing in, in your sector in the provision of accounting and financial services? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's uh, the, the, the crisis has certainly forced a lot of, of change on on firms. I think that... As with many industries, IT disrupts, and then there's there's quite a bit of sometimes there's, there's consolidation. I think in my particular industry, the age group in terms of the people that run businesses is a lot higher, and therefore there's probably people that are in their fifties, mid fifties, looking at either embracing the technology and a statistic from 
Xericon last year was that 57% of all accountancy practices are not digitized yet. So they are that traditional firm just keeping score. So there'll be quite a bit of consolidation. We're seeing that already in terms of, you know, people selling out. That that's that's a big impact on us. But the 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 I think it's the the biggest impact for us is actually just keeping up with technological change. And that affects all all industries, including the, the recruitment business. We must keep up to date. There's a there's a you know, if, if the pace of change outside your business exceeds that within it, you are in trouble, as Jack Welsh went from uh, General Electric famously once said. Uh, you must keep up with change externally. You can't get away from it. You must embrace change. Okay. John, there's some really interesting insights there. Um, Thank you so much. And anyone who's listening and who's interested in talking to John about his approach to accounting services can reach you on uh, via your website, John, yes? Yes. Um, Ascentis. Yeah, that's it. Ascentis LLP. .co.uk. And obviously, any listeners who are interested in talking to me about strategic advice, you know where to reach me. John, thank you very much for joining me today. A really different approach from many I've heard. And um, I think some great insights for our listeners. Thank you. Pleasure. You've been listening to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe, review and share so that others can find the podcast too. We really appreciate your support. If you have any questions about the topics covered or wish to find out more about recruitment leadership, please email alison at recruitmentleadership.co.uk referencing the podcast. We're also on LinkedIn where you can follow recruitment leadership and connect with Alison Humphreys. Thank you for listening and we hope you join us next time for another episode of the Recruitment Leadership Podcast.